Lent. Self-organizing church. That's what I like. Family. <laughs> okay, we need to move this today. I would highly encourage you guys to take notes because right now you do not have children. And you don't know what you don't know. Okay, you really don't know what you don't know. So I'm giving you an opportunity to learn from these guys and these guys. Now you guys are right in the thick of the battle. Huh? And we're going to talk a little bit about a very serious battle. And you guys have been through it. You've got some war wounds and you've got some experience. Yeah, down there. I'm going to share that around the family this morning. I have entitled this, oh, by the way, just before I get into this, last week we had an awesome uh, a seminar called Reasons for Hope, and we had two of my friends come down from um, North America. Uh, on Wednesday night, we had 50 youth. It was awesome. Coming to learn more about not just what they believe, but why they believe what they believe. And sometimes I think we've missed out a little bit on that. So today, my purpose, it doesn't matter whether you're in this group or this group or this group, this is absolutely applicable to all of you. And it's good that you're thinking ahead of time and doing, taking some action. So I've, I've titled this, Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, after a friend of mine, Natasha Crane, who's written a book of the same. And what I, the purpose of today is I want to communicate, importantly, that as Christians, we should be able to explain good reasons for what we believe. Right? For example, what is, there's the what and there's the why. The what and the why. Historically, we've done a good job, or a reasonably good job, at what. What are some of the core beliefs that you have as a Christian? Core ones. Just pop some answers. This is going to be interactive. So give me a few thoughts. What are some of the what you believe as a Christian? What are some of those beliefs? The Trinity. Wow. Yes, we go straight to there. What's another one? What's that now? The resurrection of who? Of Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ rose, right? But do you know why you believe that? And you can't say so because the Bible tells me so. What's another one? What was that? The calendar. Okay, yeah, we'll come to that in a second. What else do we actually believe as Christians? Who was Jesus? Who? The Son of God. That's what you believe. Now, why do you believe that? Not allowed to use the Bible. Because that, somebody would accuse you of recursive thinking. Okay. Things like that. We Christians know what we're supposed to believe, the what. But we should explain the good reasons for our belief, especially to our children. You will spend a lot of time talking about that. You'll probably start off over here. You'll probably start off with Adam and Eve, and then you'll get eventually around to Abraham. You'll talk about the flood and Noah. You'll talk about David. This is the what. But you need to know the why, especially to communicate that to your children and your classmates. What do you believe? This is what I believe. What do you believe? And why do you believe it? Also for your work colleagues, this is going to come up. And also, you're going to have some interesting discussions in your family if you haven't already had this. Now, key verse. I want you to notice this first verse on your outline. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In fact, you know what I want to do? Let's all read this aloud together enthusiastically. Let's read it. 
but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to everyone who asks you to give for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, don't poke it down their throats, but you still need to be prepared. Are you prepared to give the reasons for what you believe? That's what that verse is getting at. Now, this is a wake-up call to everybody here. What these guys grew up in, you guys and you guys are in a completely different environment. It is a hostile, increasingly a secular world. I could give you reams of research on this, but I'm just going to summarize it for you there. Here's one of 19 studies that I have read on your behalf. And this is the most conservative 61% of kids who were involved in church as recently as their teenage years become spiritually disengaged by their 20s. That means, what does that mean? It means they're not actively praying, reading the Bible, or even attending church. They're gone. Now that should seriously sober some of us up because here's a question here's a really rough question I'm sorry there's no other way to put this do you want your kids in heaven? that's a ridiculous question Ian why are you even asking that? well I'll tell you this will become obvious as we go through this multiple independent and again 19 studies I have looked at because at first I thought no 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 they're blowing smoke they're hyperventilating over nothing I've looked at the research it's solid Multiple independent groups conducted their own studies and identified the same trend. Some estimating as high as 88%. Take a dive. That should deeply concern you. You who one day who will have kids, you who have kids right now, and you who have grandkids, and existingly your other kids. Now, why is this thing happening? Why is this trend Assuming we can demonstrate that from secular research and Christian research, just looking at the facts, why is it happening? Well, I've looked at a variety of explanations at the end of these studies as to the cause of this in depth. And I'm going to give you the benefit of just giving it to you in one sentence. So you don't have to read all those studies. Here it is. The reason why this is a major problem is there is a lack of of robust spiritual training has resulted in featherweight faith for many of the young adults of today. A faith that is being annihilated or blown away by attacks from our secular culture. And some of that will go back to those simple words. They may have been taught what they're supposed to believe, but never why, and therefore they leave home, get this phrase, with second hand faith or borrowed faith from their parents that's as clear as it can make it young people are turning away from their faith because they've accepted popular claims and their only claims that Christianity is irrational, I'll show you that's not the case, it's absolutely the opposite way around but it's anti-science Christianity is absolutely not anti-science don't ever be fearful of science that it's intolerant And then it's based on an ancient, irrelevant book. That's what your kids, your grandkids, and your future kids in increasingly ways are going to be hammered with. Now, these claims have compelling answers 
from a Christian worldview. But, and this is a very big but, people are leaving home not equipped with those answers. Why our view is true and anything that is opposed to truth is false. That's as simple as that. So far from being the opposite of good reason, biblical Christian faith is rooted in good, solid reason. But your kids shouldn't just take your word for it. They need you to show them evidence. The answer, as we'll get to later on, isn't just to, hey, read this book. That'll never cut it. Guess what? They'll probably never read it. They want those answers from you. Because here's how their thinking goes. Mum and dad are telling me this, but if they don't know the reasons for that, maybe they don't. Maybe there aren't any. They're waiting to hear from you as the primary dispensers of spiritual discipline and education, as their primary caregivers. Your kids need you to show them the evidence. This will help them to leave home with their own faith, not borrowed faith. Because what my life anecdotal evidence has shown, that when kids leave home with borrowed faith, it goes back to the parents and they've got nothing. Biblical faith and reason go hand in hand. Now perhaps one testimony, I can imagine some of the questions circling in some of your minds, that God values evidence and good reasoning is just purely in Jesus' life and Paul's life. But we'll just choose one for, for brevity of time. Jesus did not run around making extraordinary claims like, I'm the son of God. I am who I am. Without offering evidence to back it up and to substantiate his claims. Otherwise, he'd be a madman. You can't claim that you're the, you can claim you're a good teacher, I'll give you that. But you cannot claim you're God's son without it being true or false. And then the way you back up the truth, he substantiated his claims with miracles and actions that no one could perform without divine power. He alleged he had. Let's pick this up to see what he had to say about this evidential Christianity. John 10:38. But if I do his work, speaking of God, Believe in the evidence of the miraculous work. See, he's appealing to evidence. Believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've done. Even if you don't believe me. If you don't believe what I say, look at what I have done. Here's what, and this is the proof. Then you will know when you look at that evidence. And understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So why is it? The evidential support for the truth of Christianity not passed on to our children when it's absolutely abundant. Why does that not happen easily? Well, here is some of the answer. Let me give you a little explanation. Let's look at the average Christian kid's life. Well, first part of this is there's 168 hours in a week, right? Not bad. Then we need to knock off Six, uh, 63 hours or 37% for sleeping, some a little longer. Okay? Seven days a week. And then we've got 40 hours of time at school, including time there and back and stuff like that. There's 40, that's another 24%. Then we've got mm, 21% of entertainment and stuff like that. Just click the next one on. Thanks, mate. Next year. 21% of that. And then we've got hours for extracurricular activities. 
Now, having said that, hold it, hold it. See that little sliver that's left? That little sliver at the top? That's the 1% that you're going to get at church. That's a fact. Go do the numbers for your own kids, your own family. And that assumes you attend church 52 weeks a year and you don't miss one. Would anybody like to put their hand up to say they have done that in the last 52 weeks? Apart from me. (laughs) Right? That is a serious time management issue. If a child does not receive family discipleship training within the home and only benefits from maybe the one to two hours of Christian education, I'm not talking about the games and the pizzas and, and, and the crafts, I'm talking about Christian education. If they only get that, there is something very missing. And we're setting up our kids to leave home on borrowed faith. Because what we're actually doing in that chart there, the facts are we're valuing other things. Somebody switched the price tags here. Somebody switched the price tags. They said that, this is very provocative, and I know. There's no greater fan in this room hardly of sport than me, or hobbies, or musical instruments. I'm all for them. I did every one of them. But I'm saying they are a poor first choice, a very poor first choice. Because of that, there's only 168 hours a week. When you say yes to that, you're saying no to that. You have to cut the pie accordingly to your values, and you have to be very clear about what those values are. The most clear way I can put that is, what's more important to you in eternity? That they're there with you, or that they learn to play golf? Or tennis? Or ballet? Or they could do their tables? We'll come back to the tables later on. Here's a few more facts. Fewer than one in ten Christian families read the Bible together during a typical week. That's stunning. Stunningly shocking. That's delusional if we expect. If your kids only perhaps looked at their homework once, you know, once every ten weeks, it wouldn't probably make much progress at school, would they? Here's another one. A study of 11,000 teenagers showed that only 12% of youth regularly have conversations with their parents about issues of faith. Wow. So where are they learning this stuff from? So most kids grow up in Christian homes. They are not receiving anything remotely resembling the spiritual training necessary to have their own lasting faith. See, borrowed faith will last for a while. It's very deceptive. It looks like they're still on board. One of the key things you need to keep an eye out for is are they still asking questions? Unfortunately, kids are losing their faith in that battle because they haven't been equipped for the fight they are living on borrowed faith. So, here's a question for you before we get into the discussion part, which is coming up soon. If you want your kids to succeed, let's say in education, you take proactive stances to ensure what? They can read, right? You sit down with them every night, I remember. Right, sit down, let's do some reading together. And when it comes to tables, somewhere along the line, the teacher gets hacked and she says, this kid needs to learn the tables. And what does mum and dad do? We sit down and we drill them, drill them, drill them until they've got it, right? Until they've internalised them. So bang, 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 bang. I used to give my kids 100 every day auto-generated, and my daughter, by the way, could whip all of the boys. She'd do 100 in less than 30 seconds, and that was writing them down. 
uh, excuse me, 60 seconds, writing them down. Every single day, because it was important to me. I'm a math major. It was very important, my kids, if they couldn't do tables, well, how the heck are you going to cope with algebra and calculus? And you're going to be held up. If you can't read, how the heck are you going to comprehend stuff? Right? So that's what we do. And by the way, is this fair? We inspect what we expect. Right? Because if oh, I'm going to do my tables, mum, yeah, right. We have to check that they're getting it. We don't just leave it to them. So if you want to keep your kids on God's side, here's my point. You have to make sure your children, your children, your future children, your children now, your grandchildren are armed with the facts for their faith. The why, not just what. You need to make sure that. Because facts support your faith. So what are some of the solutions in this hostile world? What should a Christian parent do? Well, we need to raise our kids with faith that's specifically prepared, specifically, not generalities. Tables are very specific. Specifically prepared for the challenges they'll face. And we take this idea of specific preparation for granted in our everyday lives. Now imagine for a moment that you and your kids and your kids-to-be, imagine your kids-to-be here, your kids right now, what are you two doing there? You should be over here. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Your kids right now and your kids that you've already, uh, your grandkids, just imagine for a moment, this is your, your, this is your task. You are to take them to the top of Mount Everest by the time they're 13. 13. That's your task. And that is life critical to you all. You have to do it. Now, if you and your child, and you imagine you want to climb Mount Everest, if you don't know about the challenges, you're not going to physically prepare for the specific challenges you face. What are some of the challenges that you would face going up Mount Everest? Let's hear them. Come on. Okay, lack of oxygen or altitude sickness. Good. Now, what's another one? Another, huh? Yeah, freezing. I mean, beyond freezing. Next. Exhausting. You're going to have to be jolly fit to hike up there on minimal oxygen. Things like that. Now, without some specific training and knowledge of those facts, there is no way in God's green earth you're going to make it to the top. The temperatures drop, the oxygen levels down. But I want to tell you something. Next slide. This guy here, Jordan Romero, he is 13 years old, made it with his father and his stepmother in 2010, May of 2010. He made it to the top of Everest, but he wasn't walking around one day saying, ah, I kind of like to go up there. He prepared for the challenge. And that's pretty impressive. But can I suggest to you, that means nothing to me. Who cares? Compared to the far more important goal of raising your kids to know and love Jesus. Because it involves eternity. This is not just the mere 80, 90 years we have here. Yet most Christian parents are doing the spiritual equivalent of a few jumping jacks at the mountain of their kids' faith development. And that's it. In between other stuff. They have little idea of the spiritual challenge that their children will face and consequently they are not doing what is specifically needed to prepare them for those encounters. What I'm trying to say is this. Simply taking your kids to church each Sunday is not going to cut it, neither should it. So here's my call to action. 
We have to stop winging our Christian parenting. In other words, guys, before you get there, you have to have an intentional plan. They had an intentional plan to get up the top of Everest. How much more important is it to develop your intentional plan for your kids? And you need to start getting in shape to prepare our kids for what's ahead. Now again, my friend Natasha Crane has written a book that provides, you're going to like this guys, a roadmap. How to get there. And these are extremely clearly written. I value simplicity. uh, Simple. Simple isn't simplicity. Simple is clear. She has written a book which talks about 40 faith conversations most urgently needed to be had with your kids and your ones. These are the 40 top ones that you need to have over the course of time. And it's a training plan that will introduce you to the hot buttons that your kids are going to meet, your kids are having now, and your grandkids are going to have. The hot topics of faith. And she'll give you concise, easy to understand answers that will prepare you for those critical faith discussions with your kids. Now, I just want to say something here though, which is a very important caveat. Please remember... We can't make our children Christians. Did you hear that? We cannot make our children Christians. Not me, not you. Only our children can respond to that call. Not me, not you. If I could, I would. I can't. They've got to own their own faith. But we surely can provide them with the facts and good preparation for the battle going up that mountain that they're going to need ahead of time. Now, the Apostle Paul's goal was to gently move people who stood against the knowledge of God, who had different opinions about God, who had misunderstandings about the truth, and to correct their misunderstandings. That's our job, to correct the misunderstandings that they will get. Where do they they get most of their misunderstandings from? Answers? Where do your kids and grandkids get most of their culture and information from? Friends and their worldviews, yep. TV, although interestingly, less and less and less and less and less of TV. I'm just reading uh, Roy Morgan's um, research this week. Less and less and less, more and more of, yeah, media, internet, movies. That's where it's coming from, guys. And do you think those guys are promoting truth that's in line with God's word? So let's get the picture. I I could have brought that, and maybe should have popped it up there. But there's about... 80% of their input is coming from media and their friends. So you're already swimming against the stream. We are to help correct false, vain myths that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And Paul says here in 2 Timothy 2, and to do so with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. That means in ideas in opposition to God's. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth. Anything that stands opposite to Jesus is false. Therefore, be careful, because otherwise your kids end up building a worldview on false ideas. So, what are Christian parents responsible for? There are three specific passages in the Bible on parenting that all speak to our role, God-given role, cannot delegate, cannot outsource it, like the tennis, I'll get that coach to do it, cannot outsource it to the ballet teacher, it's your and my responsibility as parents and grandparents, and that is the God-given role of teaching. Nobody can replace you. Nobody. 
Here, notice these three and circle this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction. There's the first part of teaching. Instruction. Are we fulfilling our God-given role in instructing our kids? Instruction. Second one, Proverbs 22. Train. That's like, you know, the training. There's repeated practice. Repeated practice. You don't get your forehand right or your bit or your swing the first time you hit it, right? It's all over the place. You need to clear out the poor guy next to you or whatever. <laughs> Especially if you're playing golf. So train up a child in the way he should go. You've got to get that inside them. Not just the what, but the why. Not just the what, but the why. And they need to learn the whys and the whats through you. Thirdly, you shall teach them. This is God's commands. Diligently. That means systematically not, oh, gee, we haven't done any Bible study for the last three weeks. Been too busy with the homework. Homework's good. You will never get, I, all of my kids, have all degreed, multiple degrees. In fact, many of my kids have got multiple degrees. So I'm all for education. But there's a, it's a mis, it is not the number one spot. If you can be educated idiots and lose their soul in hell. You've got to get the priority right here. You Parents shall teach them God's commands diligently, not ad hoc. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Here's a great question. Do you sit with your kids? Will you make enough time when husband and wife are both working to sit with your kids over dinner? Do you even have dinner together? The world is, you guys are shocked. We all used to do that. It's a different world over here. And here, we have got to be intentional. When you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, it's all the time. It's, a, it's not, now we're going to sit down and read that, you know. It's a continual conversation and education. This is the calling of Christian parenting. Our time spent in faith development is not a one-off purchase. God has called us to be ongoing teachers of our children and grandchildren. Now, in a culture where people chalk religious belief up to nothing more than, well, it's a personal opinion about what may or may not exist beyond their natural world. Most, if, if that's the attitude, most kids will never learn how to appropriately value their religious heritage and beliefs. And therefore, by default, they don't come to understand a very simple fact, which clarifies things crystal clear. Christianity is either true or false. If it's an objective truth, it cannot be a matter of opinion. People may have different assessments of whether it's true or not, but it's something that actually can be true. It is not something that can actually be true for some and not true for others. And when kids understand that, they'll be more likely to value their faith because they'll realize there's so much more at stake than trivial personal opinion. So the truth of Christianity can be assessed by looking at the evidence. Do you know where to get hold of that evidence? Do you know what the evidence is? Because you can't teach it unless you know it. Now our culture perpetuates this really ridiculous idea that faith is a blind leap. Faith is not a blind leap. A big leap into the dark. That is not the biblical nature of faith at all. Biblical faith is rooted in good reason. 
And kids don't understand this by default. We have to shape their understanding so that they know they can be really confident that their decision for Christ is rooted in good reason. And that conviction, because this is what happens. First of all, you gain knowledge. And that, the more knowledge you get, gives you more perspective. And eventually that perspective, and this is what we want to happen, develop into deep conviction. Then they own it. Trouble is, a lot of people spend the time just in the knowledge area. It doesn't give them much more perspective. They don't reflect on that. And it never becomes a deep conviction. That conviction makes all the difference in the world in how much a person values their faith. So let's get to it. Parents, when you, it's your turn, you need to initiate faith-based discussions. If we don't have the answers, parents, that our kids need, I've found atheists will be very happy to fill in the gaps. Now, I've suggested a few examples in the type of discussions and questions we need to have in our families. First up, normally, is quite simply this. Well, how do you know there's a God? What evidence do you have that there is a God? I know you believe in a God, and I know you've described this God to me, but where's your evidence? So here's some critical waypoints you will need to cover with your children. Have some conversations about God. You ask them after you've explained it to repeat it back to you to make sure there's learning. You know, you ask them, you know, Seven sixes and seven sevens are 49, right? What are, you know, what are seven fives? Eight fours, nine threes, two sevens. And you ask to give feedback to make sure learning. There's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching can be sometimes just one way. Training is how they got it. Can they do it? Can they repeat that? Here's a good one that your kids will ask and will at some stage be faced with. How can a loving God send people to hell? You need to have that discussion. Because if you don't, your kids are going to be blindsided. And what they will do, if they come across these questions, they, here's what I want to happen. Your kids need to hear these questions in your home, not with some kid on the playground. They need to be familiar with them so they know how to catch that ball, how to parry some of them. How can a loving God send people to hell? How about truth and worldviews? Well, don't all religions point to the same, get to the same truth and all people go to heaven? You're going to have those discussions. A little older, when they get a little older, how can Christians claim they know what's objectively true? In other words, why is your opinion different to mine? Aren't these all, how can anything be known, really? Here's a very schoolboy question. How do we know Jesus existed? Good grief. If we can't answer that, we've got a real problem. But you need to be able to show that. And you can't appeal to the Bible. Because they're going to shoot you at that. You know, you know that, don't you? That's recursive thinking, and therefore invalid logic. Did Jesus really? Okay, let's give you he existed. Did he really claim to be God, and how do you know that? These are the questions that kids are being asked today. I know, I listen. And so do you, because you're painfully aware of them. A few more. What are the historical facts of the resurrection that nearly every scholar, whether they be atheistic liberal or conservative agree on around the resurrection. The numero uno number one guy is Gary Habermas. He surveyed 1,200 dissertations 
and, um, and, and scholars in the entire gamut, and he came up with the irreducible facts, and there's eight of them that all scholars agree on. It's very helpful to know. You don't have to even appeal to the Bible on that. Even liberal and agnostics and atheists agree on these historical facts. She's got them in her book. The Bible. How do we know what the Bible has to say today? Well, what the original authors wrote. How would you answer that? Say, Mum, that's great. I believe in the Bible, but how do we know what we've got? That's what we call a chain of chain of evidence. And then science. What are the major challenges of evolution? And where does that fit in our faith? Or doesn't it at all? One of many tools at your resources, there's resources for small kids, medium, all the way through. Quickly finishing up here, then we're going to get some, uh, about 10 minutes to discuss some of these questions. Um, some thoughts to move forward. Commit to continually deepening your understanding of Christianity, your understanding. Now, if you want a cracker, help you guys have got so many resources these days, it's a blessing. Thebibleproject.com. I highly recommend that, thebibleproject.com. They've got great summaries, book summaries, and everything, and it puts everything into perspective, good for young kids as well as yourself. Two, very important, this, none of this will ever happen. None will ever happen unless you're intentional and you make some spiritual space in your home. Three, study the Bible with your kids. I mean, really? Yeah. Because otherwise they'll end up with a borrowed faith. Four, proactively and regularly ask your kids what questions they have. I still do that to my older kids today. I said, give me your best questions, the thing that's bugging you at the moment. Now, sometimes they'll blow it off, and every now and again they'll send me a cracker. And that sends me scurrying, but that's good. That's what I'm here for. For five, ask your kids the tough questions before they, uh, you know, the ones that they don't ask you. That one about how can a loving God send people to hell? They may not ask you that. If your kids are struggling with faith, be, show them how you uncover those answers. Be a detective. Emphasize critical thinking skills. Work with your kids on how to seek answers for the um, faith questions online on what are reputable sites. Because my goodness, there's a bunch of junk out there. Teach your kids about religious worldviews other than Christianity. And most importantly, start today. Okay. C.S. Lewis, hard-out atheist for most of his life, and then he became a Christian. And he said this. This is his conclusion. Christianity, if false, is of no importance... If true, of infinite importance, but the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Work for us, right? Okay. So, here now we're going to do a bit of work for about the next 10 minutes. I want you, the you group here with no kids. I want you to come up, have a discussion in each of your groups there, about what will you do to proactively prepare your kids, your future kids, to answer the why questions of their faith. That's your question. You need to report on that. You guys who've got kids right now, kids still at home, what do you need to do to prioritise preparing your kids to answer the why questions? And grandparents and empty nesters, if you had your time again, specifically what you have done differently to prepare your kids for the challenges they'll face. So somebody over this side uh, from the grandparents and the empty nesters want to take up this, if you had your time again, specifically what would you have done differently to specifically prepare your kids for the challenges they'll face. Something from this table? Okay, I would have spent more time talking to my kids on their own. My kids were raised as pastor's kids, mm -hmm. and looking back, we were way too busy looking after people and church and running around 
being pastors and our children just had to fit in and now I they don't neither of them go to church and I would have spent more time with them than with other people okay better balance that's good many of you as a pass on to this next table quickly good. <coughs> basically yes I agree that spending more time talking to children and <coughs> trying to listen to what they're saying as well not trying to tell them what you think I'm thinking through my parents now it's always been what I've said to them and how they should live their lives, but it's a case of listening to what they say and how they feel about life and then giving them some direction as far as possible and the tools to help them grow in that sense. Okay, do you want to pass it across there? Next table. Grab it, Jamie. Pre, Pre-agree, you guys, who's going to talk, okay? Tell them. Um, yeah, so for us, we just um, discussed around prioritizing, preparing our kids, and it's just about switching those on the pie graph, just switching, you know, um, that small slither um, to create a bigger slither. And um, just to, and, and then also we, we chatted about balance as well. So, you know, when you're out with your kids doing things and when you're playing golf, is to find that balance and talk about God and use every opportunity that you have um, to, to chat about God and just chat about and, and answer those questions that they have. Okay, great. Let's just pass it around. thought that the best start for us was to learn more ourselves so we're equipped to answer those questions so gain more knowledge ourselves first. Fantastic, very important. Now where are you going to go for those resources? Well I guess reputable websites would be the first. Okay and the first question is too what are the, out of all the conversations that you can have with your kids can you come up with seven that are the top ones and then you go and learn about those those in the priority order otherwise it becomes too big. So my suggestion is I've given you some on your slides there. You know, they are some of the topics that you may want to think about first and then resource yourself accordingly. Do you want to pass that back, Jen? Thanks. Hi. Well, we mainly concentrated on, as grandparents, concentrated on um, how we would talk to our grandchildren as coming around mm-hmm. and putting in, you know, instilling in the faith and the love, as Hedy said, just making sure that they're loved. And, and teaching them again the faith. But in saying that, a bit like you, Ian, when you said to question, uh, ask them questions when they came around. You know, is there anything you want to know or is anything troubling you at school or is this that I can help you with on, on the Christian perspective? Yeah. Um, so if they've got something, then it, it can create a discussion and try and build up more of that as grandparents to discuss more with our grandchildren as they come around. Great. And sit yep. with them doing things like that. Yeah, one of the big traps, guys, is when your kid asks you something, is why the please delete this from your vocabulary because I said so. That does not cut it. Remove that from your vocabulary because I said so. They're looking for a good reason. Thanks. Good point. Could I say something? Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> The answer to what we'd do better is when we came to the Lord, we did a lot of study. And I just asked Renee, when we studied that, did we share what we learned with you? And they said, no. Yeah, hey, there you go. Didn't even know we were doing it. So if you, you know, if I had it over again, as I came to the Lord, what I learned, what I learned, I would have discussed with my children. Great. Okay, good. Parents are first teachers. Next. Okay, 
Um, well, I'm interesting because I'm between both camps. <laughs> um, but it's recognising those moments when they come up in conversation and then asking them some other questions. Okay, it happened at school. Okay, what happened at school? Tell us a bit more. And finding out what sort of answer they're looking for, not the answer I want to give. And so it's finding out where they're at, okay, and having a bit of time to listen, because sometimes we can miss it. We are busy in the community, even going shopping, and somebody will bring up a conversation. You know, I visit workplaces and see people, and you get conversations. But sometimes with kids, you, you can actually miss it, because you've missed the beginning of it. Uh, and then sometimes you need to take them aside and, okay, you mentioned this. But sometimes in a group setting with Jamie and Alyssa, they'll, they'll bring up it and all of a sudden they're both adding to the same conversation. So it's sort of just being prepared in, in our busyness. You know, we can get so busy, but it's, it's are we going to miss those little God conversations? Good point. And, um, and then say, well, what do you think we should do? And let them, they, they want to learn, but they want to participate. Good. Thanks, Lionel. Next group. Uh, this is done collectively as a group, so this is what we got. Uh, first is uh, we need to uh, make time f uh, to have a uh, conversation with our kids. That We've got to do this uh, intentionally. Uh, second is to equip ourselves with, uh, for the knowledge. Uh, third is... Uh, knowledge on what, can I ask? Knowledge uh, of uh, the Bible, in order to teach them, pass it on to them. Of what? Of what? What in the Bible? Of God, of God. Of God, so knowing, so knowledge about what you believe is one part, yeah? Mm. Yeah. Anything else? And also, uh, and why we believe. And why you believe it, because again, you can say what, 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 and one of your kids is going to say, well, why? Why, Dad? Mm. How did you come to that conclusion? And you need to be able to provide that reason, not because I said, and not also because the Bible says so. You can use it so far, but as your kids grow older, they're going to want deeper answers than that. Okay? Good. Anything else? Uh, also, as parents, we, we need to be praying constantly uh, uh, for, for wisdom and for strength from God. And also, we need to pray with our kids. And lastly, uh, that we should live by example. In order to, to disciple our kids, we ourselves need to be disciples. What does that look like? If you were going to lead ex by example, what would that look like? We, we should be, uh, be uh, living and we should be showing the evidence of Christ in us. Okay, I'm not sure what that looks like. Give me an example. What does this look like? I'm your kid looking at daddy. What does living a Christ-like example look like from their eyes? Faith is what we have here. Live by faith. Okay, that may be something to think about. But can you see what I'm saying? Kids are great observers. Your kids will do what you do, not what you say eventually. So be very careful that your words align with your actions. They're great observers, poor interpreters. Okay, next group. Okay, the young whippersnippers. 
And your question, what would you do proactively to prepare your future kids to answer the why questions of their faith? Um, well, I just want to just add on to the role model thing. I also believe that we should focus on ourselves and be a good role model. And I, how I see it is to really have really quite Christ-like stories. Like, for example, you went out to do missions, or you can talk about stories of what you did at work and there was a certain situation and how you dealt with it and you talk to your kids with that. And to have a really good discipline, like how you time manage, how you do project management and provide like things that you do and relate it back to verses in the Bible. So I think that's a way of um, being a good role model for your kids so that they can use it, those examples and talk to their friends about that as well. Okay, so, good. Next table. Well, one more after that, and then we're done. Uh, so um, for us who still doesn't have kids, I, I, I reckon the best thing that we can do is to prepare ourselves, go mm. deep with our faith, know the Bible really well, and know it in a way that you're confident about the Bible as well. Um, I reckon as well, like as we've learned from Reasons for Hope, do the heavy lifting now. So when mm. we have kids, um, we can carry them as well. Um, also, like having a life that's engaging with the world, um, having to carry the cross in our lives as well. So when we engage in the world, so I guess that's it. And also, there's a suggestion, VeggieTales. Okay. <laughs> this group at the front. Hello. So, Hi, yeah, as we don't have kids yet, we have a bit of time to prepare. And the first thing that we thought, sorry, I'm going to stand here. The first thing that we thought was that we have people we can come to for advice, so those who have kids and who've gone through this, to be mentored by you. Um, also to understand our whys, to understand what our society is going to ask, the questions that we have, the, what society is going to come back with to our kids, especially in 10 or 20 years time or whatever. The second is to allow our kids to know mom and dad are the two people that I come to. They're the ones I come to and have questions um, for advice, to have a continual conversation and education with our kids and to practically to have a time with them, like after dinner or whatever, where you find out, okay, what, what did I deal with today? Was I challenged by someone? Um, someone asked me a weird question, and then to go through that with them to give them the answer of why, not also, well, hopefully you know they're gonna like the Bible's opinion, but if they don't, to look for other, other sources, and um, to end off with prayer, because ultimately it's in God, God's hands. It is. That's great. Well, thank you. Just one last slide up here. And I want each of you in your various groups to just think about this. If you had to write it down on your outline right now, the answer to this. If you have no question, uh, no kids, what priority topics, because you can't cover everything, choose some priority topics and resources. Will you select based on the questions that you have faced and you know kids are facing? Kids that are still at home, what topics will you prioritize in your home um, based on the question that your kids encounter, because it's going to be obviously age appropriate, and then grandparents, with grandchildren in mind, what is your plan to help your kids educate and share um, the what and the why you believe with your grandkids? So what is your plan? Because if we don't have a plan, I found that good intentions aren't good enough sometimes. They kind of slip, they get strangled out by somebody mentioned busyness. We're squeezed for time. But if we don't have a priority list of maybe the top five questions you want to get after and communicate those to your kids, 
you won't be able to find the resources to answer those, and therefore your kids will never move along, knowing that parents are the number one educators of their children. Wow. That is a fairly... Now, I don't know of a more important topic. Stay with me for my last two sentences, effectively. If heaven is for real, I will give everything I have to have my children with me for eternity. What is 70, 80 years? If that is true, it will be incongruent for me not to allocate space, time, emotional energy, and resource. I know plenty of people who wouldn't, spend, wouldn't think of spending, you know, $5,000, $6,000 in a car, which would be here one minute and probably scratch the next minute. How much time, resource, energy do you put into building up the resources for your children, for your grandchildren? Somebody, I confess, seems to switch the price tags. It's more important to buy uniforms, curriculum for all sorts of other things. But if this is really important, as C.S. Lewis said, the one thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. We need to be intentional. Father, thank you for your word that encourages us to teach, to train, and to instruct our children in your word. Help us, Lord, see clearly. Holy Spirit, be a counsellor. Show us what we need to change. Challenge our attitudes and our priorities that we may become more in line with your son Jesus and be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless.